Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Belmont Buzz. I'm your host, the local Belmont Bee, Joanna Jubilis. Today, we're going to be speaking with the chairman and members of the Yes for Belmont campaign. For anyone that is not aware who lives in Belmont, I'm sure you all are, there is an override coming up on the April 6th ballot. Belmont voters have to decide whether or not to vote yes or no on the override question which is to approve $6.4 million override, which would raise taxes for the average Belmont taxpayers home assessed at $1.25 million to about $896. Did I get all that right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so first I'm gonna introduce Nicole Dorn. She is the chairwoman of the Yes for Belmont campaign. Welcome, Nicole. Why don't you tell our viewers a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in this campaign as the chair, no less. Yes, yeah. And well, first, I just want to say thank you so much for having us here and, and for all you, you do for local journalism in Belmont. It's really a great asset to have you in this town. Um, so I'm uh, Nicole Dorn. I'm the chair of the uh, Yes for Belmont campaign. As, as Joanna mentioned, I have lived in Belmont since 2013 and uh, live in the Burbank area with my husband, Kevin Dorn, and our two children. Um, I have a second grader at the Wellington and a fifth grader at the Chenery. Um, and really, um, Yes for Belmont, I'll just tell you a little bit about Yes for Belmont. We are a group of committed volunteers some new to politics, um, some this is their first time getting into local politics, some who've lived here for over 20 years, some who are new to Belmont, but we're all really united by our love of the town of homes and our desire to come together as a community and make sure um, we can do everything we can to preserve all that's great about Belmont. For me personally, I got involved because I really do believe the override is needed um, to preserve um, so many of the things that I love about living in Belmont from the library to um, our school system to um, you know, just the, the people who come and, and plow our streets every week or every day when it snows. So um, for me, it's really about making sure we're looking forward to the future of Belmont and, and can maintain um, all that we love about living in this town. And, and I feel so lucky to work with such a great group of volunteers as well. All right. Well, speaking of volunteers, you have two of your campaign members here. Why don't we start with Adi Batista? Adi, introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Adi Batista. Um, I live in a Waverly area with my wife, Rachel Heller, and two kids, uh, one son that's at Butler and one daughter that's in pre-K and will be in Butler uh, next year. Um, and uh, I've been in Belmont since 2013. 
Um, and my, my re main reason why I joined the campaign is uh, to echo what Nicole said, is that, that I really care about this town. This town is such a great, desirable place to be. Um, and the schools are fantastic. The teachers are wonderful. The services uh, from DPW to the police, fire, everybody's been just so friendly in this town. And I want to keep it that way. I want to improve on that. Um, you know, and so I, I'm, I'm, uh, I want to make sure that, uh, that, that we uh, maintain uh, that sense of uh, um, desires. My apologies. Thank, thank you, Nicole. And speaking of volunteers, we have two volunteers here from the campaign today, and they'll tell, them, tell, you, tell our viewers a little bit about themselves. Adi Batista. Hi. Hi, everyone. My name is Addie Batista. Uh, I live in the Waverly area um, with my wife, Rachel Heller, and uh, two kids, um, one son that's going to uh, Butler in the third grade, and my daughter, who's in pre-K, who will be in Butler uh, next year. Um, mainly, I, one more thing I want to mention is that I, uh, um, I've been in Belmont since 2013, and I moved to Belmont because it was such a desirable place to be, from the schools to the town. I've had friends that lived here and said great things about Belmont. And uh, and so um, from the parks and, and everything that we have to offer, and I want to keep that, uh, that, that, that uh, those facilities and, the, and that, that, that um, uh, ability to do that. And um, so that's why I support their override, to make sure that that folks um, uh, have the services they need, that the schools are properly funded, and that the town um, staff, um, uh, you know, are, are appreciated as well. Thank you, Adi. Nice to have you on the show. And now I'm going to introduce Aaron Piccolingus. Thanks Welcome, so much, Aaron. Thank you. Uh, so my name is Aaron Piccolingus. Uh, I'm volunteering with a campaign, just like Adi, doing what I can. Uh, I live in right near Chenery with my wife, Laura Burns, and my two kids. Uh, my daughter is in sixth grade at Chenery, and my son is in third grade at Wellington. Um, I've lived here with my, actually, we bought a two-family house with my cousins in 2010 after spending a long time uh, with our two families together, thinking about what we wanted in a town and where we wanted to be. And so I think a lot of the things, thinking back to that time, uh, that we had in our criteria list of, like, the good schools, the nice place to be, like there's trees everywhere. People take care of their, their yards and their houses and take pride in their, the place where they live. We want to make sure we can keep all that, just like Gaddy said, just to echo a lot of that stuff. Um, and so the reason I'm involved in the campaign is that I, you know, I think it's important to preserve that stuff. We need to make sure we provide the resources necessary to do it. That's great. Okay. So thank you for all for coming on the show. And now I'm going to ask Nicole to tell everyone what your campaign has been doing since you became official to educate voters about the override and why they should vote yes. Um, yes, well, we have been um, working, you know, since the override was placed on the ballot to make sure, just as you said, we're educating voters about the override. Um, we know that it's a really tough time for a lot of people and that there's a lot going on in Belmont. And, and this is a complex, um, complex issue and, and voters really need to be able to make an informed choice. So um, we want to talk to as many voters as we can, hear from them, hear their questions and concerns, and make sure they have the information they need. Obviously, it's a little bit harder to do during a pandemic, um, but we're taking a lot of what we would normally do in a campaign virtual. So we have okay. um, a lot of one-on-one -on -one conversations that we're doing with folks. Um, we're doing Zoom information sessions so people can go on our website, uh, yesforbelmont.org, uh, learn more and sign up for an information session. 
Um, and then we're basically, you know, making sure that anybody who has a question, um, they reach out to us. Um, you know, you can reach me at Nicole at yesforbelmont.org. We'll get back to them um, and really just want to hear from as many people as we can. Okay, that's that's really great. I haven't seen you out there with signs yet, but I'm sure eventually we will be seeing a lot of that over by the railroad bridge. Yes, we will. Yes, <laughs> Cushing yeah. Square, uh, many of those popular spots. So exactly. I guess you know people wait till it gets a little bit closer. So, what is the most important message that you communicate to voters, and how are you communicating this message? Uh, well, I'll start and then I'll let besides, Adi in. Besides vote, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I think for us, the, the biggest message is that really one, make sure voters understand, you know, why we need this override and what both the benefit of the override is and what the cost of, of the override not passing. Um, and so we have a structural deficit in town, even though we have done a lot to um, raise revenue and cut costs um, in the in the past um, six years that has allowed the last override, which was intended to last only three years, that allowed us to stretch that for six. Um, the fact is our expenses are increasing at a faster rate than our revenues. And so um, the, the mechanism to address that, and you know, in addition to doing that structural reform that we are doing and will continue to do is to pass an override. So if the override passes, we'll be able to um, support our students coming out of a pandemic, um, make sure that we have the teachers we need to reduce class sizes at the high school um, and middle school, just like we have made progress in that at the elementary school, add math coaches to address a lot of the math needs of our students, add a social worker at the high school. And these are things that our, our schools need to be um, to continue sort of what they're doing and especially to respond to the pandemic. And then at the town side, it enables us to make progress um, building the capacity to address like critical maintenance that happens and not having to defer that to um, be able to clean up trash from parks and playgrounds on the weekends. Um, and, you know, really making sure that voters understand that if the override were to fail, you know, those are the kind of things that we would lose. So, for our students, there'd be 21 fewer educators when they come back to school. Um, that's that's less support. You know, when they're going to need more support coming out of a pandemic, we'd have to cut over 40% of our budget for athletics, music, and theater. Um, and and really, to me, that's not how we want to respond right now to this time of need. We don't want to be debating you know, which sports team we're going to have to cut next year. We want to be thinking about how do we give students the support they need. And same goes for seniors. So the override would enable us to um, add a full-time social worker that the Council of Aging has been asking for for years to address issues like social isolation, neglect, mm -hmm. and dementia. Um, and, and really, if we, you know, if it doesn't pass, we won't be able to do that. And on top of that, we'd have to make cuts to the library that might reduce its programming. Um, two fewer workers at DPW, that will aggravate residents. The work will still get done. DPW does a fantastic job, but it will just be delayed. Um, so we really want to make sure voters understand, here's what we get if we vote yes, and here's actually the cost of voting no. Um, and, and how we're doing that is, like I said, we will be out there holding signs, um, but we're also having those um, uh, uh, Zoom information sessions. We're sending mailings to people, and we're available. People can come and request to talk to any one of us anytime that they want. As you've been on the campaign trail, what are you finding has been challenging during this during this during this time? It's a pandemic. People are frustrated in Belmont. They're frustrated that the taxes just keep going up. They they were just raised for the debt exclusion. They just got their property 
tax bills and, and you know, they're seeing the effects of the new Belmont Middle and High School on their property tax bills. And now they're saying, what, again, they're going to raise my taxes? I mean, it's a very difficult, difficult time, as you as you all know. So what are you telling people when they're like, no way, I'm not voting yes? Uh, you know, how do you how are you facing that I'm, obstacle? I'm happy to talk about that a little bit. Um, and Addie, please add in when, when, um, when there's more stuff to say. I think people are frustrated for a lot of different reasons right now. Um, I know that as a parent, and just, just like we just were talking about, um, sometimes it's frustrating to be at home with your kids all day trying to get your job done. Um, and and it's, we've been talking about this a lot internally in our campaign with folks that I've been talking to um, when I've been talking about what we want to do for this vote, is that we need to make sure that, that their frustrations about what happened in the last 12 years are separated from this this vote. This is a vote about the future, not about the last 12 months. Sorry, not 12 years, 12 months, excuse me, for the last 12 months. Um, it's felt like 12 years. It, it, it felt like a thousand years. years. Absolutely. My brain is it's a little non-secretary there, but you're right. Um, but I, I think that um, what we want to make sure people understand, is that, 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 though this is a very complicated thing to understand all the moving parts, that this is not the town asking for more stuff. Right. This is not an exorbitant, uh, crazy thing. This is a normal process. Um, and as Nicole said earlier, that, you know, when costs tend to increase for level services at a rate faster than two and a half percent, which is the cap that we can raise taxes by under normal circumstances, we need to check in with the voters and ask for an override. And that's what we're doing here. Uh, and so I, I just want to reiterate, you know, as a member of the structural change impact group, which is newly formed, we've been reviewing what's happened over the last 10 years in town to cut costs, uh, to find new revenue, to increase efficiency and improve the quality of services we offer. And there's been a lot. We found uh, from a list that we compiled from the various bodies in the last 10 years, the various boards and commissions, found over 200 unique ideas for ways to increase revenue uh, and control costs, uh, 50 of which have already been implemented. Another 30 plus are underway. Um, and that's yeah. significant progress. When so we work really hard, uh, and we've done stuff to control our healthcare costs, we've made a lot of different changes that have made significant impacts. But even so, um, the costs of things like healthcare uh, compensation, and particularly historic surge in enrollment in our schools—over 900 students over the last 13 years—have been added to the district. We're we're obligated to pay for those things. We need to make sure we take care of the new students who come and live in Belmont. We I mean we have a legal obligation and a moral obligation to to educate them. Uh, and the same is true. We have uh, an obligation to take care of the people who work for us and do take care of our town, our public service, uh, sorry, public safety staff, our DPW staff, all the other people who work in town and our schools. And, you know, those costs are rising um, at a faster rate than two and a half percent. And so the reality is that um, right now is the best time to pay for this if we're going to do it, because if we wait, we're in addition to three point four five million dollars of cuts that will have to be made this summer if this doesn't pass. We'll be facing an even bigger override next year. Adi, do you have anything you want to add? Yeah, and just want to say that we uh, we have this the new middle and high school that's coming, and you can see how great the town has been with its uh, you know you know being very fiscally aware around that project being on time and on budget with that school coming in. We want to make sure that we are, you know, you know, starting that on a great footing, not on a footing where we have to cut staff, cut teachers, cut facilities and cut services in town. I think it's very imperative that we, uh, you know, embrace the investment that we've done in that school um, and, 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 and support the students that are going to be attending that school. Uh, so that, that's one thing I want to make sure that that's very clear. 
Thank you. Just to add to, um, Sharon, if I may, like, I think, you know, we are, we definitely empathize too with the folks who are on fixed incomes for whom, you know, any increase in property taxes is a, is a burden. And we, we understand that and we encourage those individuals to reach out to um, the town assessor's office. There are programs at the town level and at the state level to help people who are on fixed incomes who can't meet their property tax obligations. Um, But we are also concerned about the disproportionate impact this would have on town residents who are, are vulnerable or on fixed incomes if the override were to fail. I mean, if you, um, you know, if sports teams are cut or if music programs are cut and you have to go, um, those, those, you know, town residents with means can go to the private sector and pay for those things. Um, School of Rock costs $250 a month. Clubs for soccer and hockey cost thousands of dollars a year. If you're on a fixed, fixed income, you can't go do that. Um, your your kids are going to be without that. Um, same goes for you know things like Russian School of Math costs two thousand dollars a year. Um, by providing math coaches to our students, we would enable all of our town residents to um, really benefit from those kind of programs. And so you know to us, we, yes, we are concerned and and really trying to sort of help those on fixed incomes reach out to you know learn more about the programs that are available to help folks pay their property taxes. But there is there would also be a disproportionate income on our most vulnerable residents if this fails, and that also concerns us. Okay, so what would you say are the top three, let's just say top three critical needs of the town that this override will help fund? That's a hard question, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's a great question. Give me the top yeah. three. Top three that, that, you know, would have the greatest impact if it doesn't pass. Well, I'll give, um, so I think I could give one big one. I guess the top impact, I guess, uh, would be the cuts to the staff um, at schools and the the one less potential firefighter and one less police officer. Um, you know, I, I think that that would um, that'd be quite devastating after coming out of this pandemic and send the wrong message to the hardworking people that are working in our schools, teaching our students, um, hardworking people in town, um, you know, risking their, you know, literally risking their lives to work for us, for our behalf. I think that's the wrong message to send. Um, and uh, and we, uh, so I reiterate, reiterate what we said before, is that those cuts would happen and we would need to then spend more money, which would be put more burden on those that do not have the ability to, um, you know, to, to, to absorb that as, as, as easily as others. Um, and so I think that's, that's, that's in my mind, one of the, the top reasons why this has to pass. Okay. So we need two more. Two more. Those three. <laughs> no, one I, is staff. I mean, I think. Cut, staff I, cuts. I think just to build on what Adi was saying in terms of the, the schools, I would, I would say it's really about the class size there. Like if we have 21 fewer educators coming back from a pandemic, um, or 21 fewer staff, you know, large portion of those are educators, teachers, we will have larger class sizes. And we will, we've made a lot of progress on at the elementary level, middle and high school, we have over a hundred, um, I believe there's over a hundred classes at Belmont High School right now that have uh, more than the sort of standard for class size. We have some core classes at Belmont High with 35 kids in them. 
um, we will we will not be able to make progress on that if the override fails, um, and we'll like we'll go backwards from the progress we've made on class size um, since 2015. So I think that so class size we you would say would be a big one, and I would say for a second one, and I'll turn to Aaron who can do the third. You know, I do think for me it's the it's just the day to day impact on town services that would be um, that's that's what we want to try to preserve with the override. So um, for example, I know a lot of friends who they've done renovations on their homes and get frustrated by how long it can take to get a permit that will be longer if the override fails we, we have one building inspector right now in town the override will allow us to fund a second and if we only have one building inspector um, there's only so much that individual can do it will take longer for renovations and permits to get pulled um, and these are just kind of like the day-to-day aggravations of living town like no trash pickup on the weekends we will have two fewer dpw laborers um, so we've all seen the trash pile up at joey's park we have to fund things, you know, we have to put money towards those kind of town services. And if the override fails, um, that won't happen. Potholes will take longer to get filled. Um, so for me, I would I would bucket the second big impact on just the day-to-day aggravations of living in town that, um, you know, I think would be really frustrating for a lot of residents um, uh, if this were to fail. Sure. All right. I think I, think I have a third one. Okay. Mine's a little more abstract. Um, so uh, I watched a great presentation by Mr. Asadorian about the new program at the high school that they're, that they're developing for a music curriculum where they take contemporary music and more contemporary instruments and the music that people have in their everyday lives. And that's part of the curriculum now instead of listening to, you know, Baroque and classical music. Um, and I think about that program in the context of a school as like the kind of thing that makes, and I think in Superintendent Finland's words, makes certain kids run to school, right? They may not be into math or science or other things, and that's the kind of thing that makes kids run to school. And that's the type of thing that's at risk. Um, when I talked to Ardo about it, he said, yeah, that's absolutely at risk if the override doesn't pass. And so just to sort of extend that idea across the town and thinking back to 2010, when my cousins and my wife and I were thinking about where we wanted to live, when we have a little bit more than the bare minimum, right, we get to do things that make the town great. Um, so we get to have shade tree programs. We get to have someone making sure our sidewalks are great. Um, we get to have curbs on the sides of our roads and things like that. Um, and those are, the, I think we should choose making things great, right? I think that the, that there's a much better chance of us making this and keeping this a great place to be if we vote for the override. Let's not have a new slogan here, but make Belmont great again. <laughs> I mean, that's what I do. Uh, okay. Um, but again, there are a lot of naysayers or a lot of people who are like, oh, Belmont will get by. Belmont will get by without this override. I mean, think all the, what is the no campaign uh, campaigning, right? Uh, not now, Belmont should wait. Um, and, you know, Belmont will get by. You know, these are um, scare tactics. I mean, I'm sure you're hearing a lot of that. So what do you say in uh, response to that? I think the, the, the first thing to say is that this is a, a structural deficit. And what that means is that, uh, you know, um, that the, our spend is higher than what we're bringing in. Um, and the, through the work of, you know, the committees like Aaron and other folks in town, the select board and the town, they've stretched as much as they possibly can, you know, a deferred maintenance on several buildings. Um, and it is extremely unfortunate that we're at this state to need to do this during a pandemic, but it, but it has to happen because the costs will be even greater. 
um, uh, yeah, and and the, the message to all the folks that would be um, that would be a uh, um, a cut would be you know would just would just be the wrong message to send, and our services to seniors, the, the social worker, the seniors desperately need um, that won't be funded. Uh, it, 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 it it would not be um, a, a great place to be for Belmont if that happened. You know, Belmont, we, we have historically done that and uh, we have sort of kicked the can down the road. And, and for many, many years, Belmont did not did not pass overrides, did not want to make the investments needed. And now the result is we have a lot of critical infrastructure needs that need to be addressed. And if we keep delaying that, keep delaying that, it just gets more expensive. It's actually more fiscally responsible to make those repairs and do that maintenance on a regular basis than to constantly defer it. It just adds the expense for further next to the next generation that's going to come. And I think the library is a great example of that. I mean, our library is falling apart because we haven't invested in it. And, um, and now we're risking where um, it may have to, if the override fails, it will have to have reduced hours, reduced programs, and we'll be right on the line of losing that Minuteman accreditation. Um, so, you know, I think for people to say, oh, Belmont can get by, it's like there is a point where there are real consequences to continuing to have a strategy of non-investing in our town resources and services, non-investing in our infrastructure and kicking the can down the road. And I, I believe, you know, that time is coming. Um, and so we we want people to make the fiscally responsible choice, which is to say it's less expensive for taxpayers to do it now. Um, and it will avoid sort of adding expenses down the road. And, you know, what Addy said is, is absolutely right. I mean, this is only going to get more expensive if we delay. If it doesn't pass. Let's just say the override doesn't pass. Um, how do you think it will affect Belmont's future? Do you think maybe people will not uh, move to Belmont anymore? Oh, we don't want to go that town. Uh, real estate value. Um, you know, what would you say would be the the negative negative impacts on the town and its future if this override at this time doesn't pass? Well, I think in the near future, what we know is that we'll probably need to take another, we'll have to have another override measure on the ballot next year. Um, and in addition to the cuts that we'll have to make this summer, as we, I discussed earlier, I think $3.45 million of cuts that start this summer, uh, we'll have probably up to an $11 million override next year. It would be even bigger. Um, that's in part because we will have to use some of our free cash to offset uh, the budget deficit that we'll face this year. Um, I don't know if, as you know, unlike individuals and businesses and states and federal governments, town governments in Massachusetts are not allowed to run a deficit. So we, we can't um, we can't take out a loan to, to, for our operating budget. We have to have the money for it or we have to cut the things that we can't afford. Um, and so I think that in the, in the short term, what we're gonna face is a much bigger override next year. Uh, in the long term, I think a lot of the things that got us into a little bit of trouble in the past were that you know, we deferred maintenance on a police station, on the town center, on the DPW, on our schools, on our library, on our pool. Um, and those things didn't magically go away or get cheaper because we didn't address them. Um, what happened is all of a sudden in the last 10 years or so, we've had to find ways to address all of those things as the needs became truly critical. Um, and, you know, we still have outstanding the library with you know, an HVAC system on the roof that is too heavy for the design of the building that is causing it, as Nicole mentioned, to literally fall apart. Um, 
So I think we'll face some real challenges in being able to to keep the maintenance uh, and stop deferring maintenance. And then it comes down to the the real people of the police force, the our other public safety officer, sorry, other public safety staff on the fire department, our DPW staff, our town staff, our teachers. Um, that getting by, what that looks like is all of those people going above and beyond what they a normal person would agree to do to, to help us, quote unquote, get by. Um, and I think that we're not taking care of them or the, the people in town who they serve by just doing the bare minimum. Um, and I think that we can do much better. And as I, as I alluded to earlier, I think we can choose to support the things properly and find that everyone's lives will improve. And, and then just finally to add, as Nicole mentioned earlier, I think that the people in town, as you asked, are they're still going to move here. People are still going to buy and sell property. And the people with means will pay for private services to cover all the things that are no longer provided by the town if we don't pass the override. And the people who will suffer are the people who are on fixed incomes and with more limited means um, who will not be able to buy those services. And can I just add to Joanna um, that, you know, I think for, there are some people who are talking about the future in terms of the future for our schools. And I think are saying that like by voting no on the override, um, that's going to lead to a different outcome in terms of the response to the schools to the pandemic. And I would just ask for those for those folks, um, you know, first to say like we are we recognize the frustration. We all want what's best for our kids. We've all been frustrated a lot over the past um, year. But really like to ask them to ask themselves, like, what do they hope their no vote will accomplish in terms of what the future will hold for our schools? Um, and. Um, it's it's not it's this this election this override is not about a referendum on the school committee. There is a school committee election um, that is for that, and that's how we hold elected officials accountable. What we know about the future of the schools is that if the override fails, we will have fewer resources for our students coming out of a pandemic. Um, and so I just wanted to add that because I think you know we first start talking about like well, what will the future hold. I know that there's a lot of chatter about you know the override vote is about you know, creating a better future for our students in, in terms of voting no. And I just, you know, fundamentally disagree with that. I think the, the school committee election is the referendum on the school committee. The override vote is about the future of our town and about how we want to support our students um, coming out of a pandemic. Thank you, Nicole. Howdy, I haven't heard from you in a while. <laughs> so why don't I ask you, why don't I ask you the next question? Um, you, you moved to Belmont fairly recently. Well, 2013, that was, um, I don't know how many years ago. I can't do the math, but. If you count the last hundred years since March, it's a long time. What drew you <laughs> to Belmont? Why do you think the enrollment keeps going up? Why are families moving to Belmont and sending their kids to Belmont schools? So I'll say that like uh, we moved to Belmont um, because we wanted to um, have, uh, you know, uh, um, we, we were, our family was expanding and it wasn't actually necessarily personally for the schools. Um, you know, uh, so we, um, we wanted to make sure we had, um, uh, you know, uh, um, you know, a little more space for our kids. Um, we had friends that like have told us, uh, that, uh, that Belmont's a great place to be. We visited Belmont. We liked the open space. Um, and we wanted to, you know, continue to own, you know, uh, you know, a home. Uh, you know, I, I um, you know, so the the second part of your question was around why you know why and so generally why I think people might be moving here is that I think there are you know probably two main reasons why people will move to a community in general right there's others and one would be um, that it's affordable um, and two would be um, 
that it's uh, or within their budget. And two, it would be for the schools. And I think uh, Belmont has such an amazing reputation with their schools. I knew about it when I first moved to the Boston area over 20 years ago uh, about Belmont schools. Um, and you know, looking at it more deeply now, seeing how far away our funding is for our schools compared to like towns, it is amazing what our schools, the uh, administrators and teachers and staff have been able to do for our students um, and what the volunteers, the PTA, PTO and other volunteer organizations have helped out um, and, you know, to, to make sure that our students get the, you know, a great education. And we have two blueprint schools in, here and our funding is much lower average wise than any of our, um, you know, comparable towns. Um, and, uh, and still people want to have their kids in the schools because of that. Um, I would also say that the pandemic has, you know, you know, sort of shine a very bright light on the reduced funding of our schools, just to talk about that point, um, that our, that our schools, uh, you know, did the best they could, um, which was pretty amazing with the budget they had. Um, and there was no room for any error. And that pandemic was one big, you know, catastrophic shock to that school, to our schools. And I would say that would it be amazing if we had even close to the average funding, um, uh, what our, you know, Winchester and other school districts have for people, what amazing things would happen in our schools. Um, but they're not, but the town's not even asking for that. They're just asking for being so fiscally responsible. They're just asking for, we just need to just do a little bit more just to keep our budget going, keep everything we're doing today and add a few more things that are very necessary that we've been delaying. That, that seems like a very um, sound um, you know, uh, decision to make. Are you finding that people who don't have kids in the schools, you know, the empty nesters, um, are you finding that they're more of the no side and they're more of the people that need to be convinced to vote yes than the people who have kids in the Belmont schools? I think that maybe anecdotally, maybe some people that feel that way, but I also, um, know that there are people that have put the, the, the children through school or the children are about to leave the school and want to fund this. The well, let me ask you this. Yeah. If you vote, if, if the vote doesn't pass, is it the schools that are going to suffer more? Is it the other town services or is it equal? How would you describe? I think it's across the board. I think the schools will definitely suffer. Clearly the schools will suffer. Um, and there's then really, the, the the consumer of the schools, the students, the, the children, our children will suffer more, right? So why should I, yeah, well, why should I care about the schools as a taxpayer if I don't have kids in the schools anymore? I'm just saying, I'm just speaking like a no person. Well, uh, well, I would, I would suggest that like, uh, you know, um, there's a couple things. One, you probably care about your property values. Um, and, and if you are a homeowner, um, your property values have gone up quite a bit over this um, the economic run from 2008. Um, and uh, and then that's a majority that has been about folks, you know, moving in the schools and people that already existed that lived here, that grew mm-hmm. up here and moved back home because Belmo is such an amazing place to be. And I think that's that, that that goes to show that the property has gone up. Now, that doesn't help for affordability, and so that's there's a whole another segment around like around you know building and meeting the demands of, of all income types in Belmont. And that might be a conversation for another day. But I would say that like that um, that if you um, want to um, 
you know, maintain your investment in your home, the, the, the financial investment you, you've, you, you've had for 10, 20, 30 years, um, investing in schools is really a sound choice. A second piece I would say is that like, is, there's a, a perception that seniors may not be on board with, with this. And I would say that, that, you know, this, and there's some seniors we talked about earlier that may be a fixed income. And, uh, and so, you know, any variable cost extra is going to hurt their budgets. And that I completely agree. You know, you know, you know, I'm not a senior, but uh, you know, my business has been been impacted by this, and I'm, you know, you know, we were all facing, you know, a tough time. So I get that, and I would say that there's services that seniors specifically will not have coming out of this pandemic. There's a lot of isolation where where, where some seniors, you know, are not able to see their loved ones because of this, and because they're the most vulnerable folks in in the pandemic that could get, that could get COVID and 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 be seriously hurt by it. And so we want to make sure we fund that social worker to, to help folks as we're all during and as we're coming out of this. I would say that that's 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 pretty paramount to me. Um, uh, I don't know if there's any anybody else have anything else to add, but I, but I, I think that's yeah. It. I would love to hear from Nicole and Aaron before we wrap up. Aaron, do you want to go first? You can go. You look like you have a. <laughs> I was just gonna say. In your eyes. I, <laughs> I was gonna say. I think. Um, you know, it is really important also just to remember that the override is about the schools and the town. So about 60 percent. Um, I think there's a misperception sometimes that like, you know, the whole town budget goes to the schools. It's actually, you know, 60, 40. So about 60 percent of the budget goes to the schools, 40 percent to the town. And so, um, you know, really, that's you can kind of think of the division of the override in that respect, that about 60 percent of the override would go to the schools, but 40 percent is for the town. And so as Addie was was talking about, you know, there's critical services that we won't be able to, to provide that all of our town residents rely on. Um, and so, you know, even if you don't have children in school or your children are graduating from schools, like this is actually about the whole town. It's about, you know, funding our town clerk's office, funding the library, funding DPW, funding that building inspector, funding police, funding fire, optimizing the use of our buildings. If you care about climate change, I mean, we have this brand new high school that's going to be zero net energy. Um, we need to have this um, uh, override to fund a systems, systems manager that would allow us to actually be able to run that building effectively. As someone was saying to me, the boiler in that building is not your grandfather's boiler. <laughs> like there is a whole room just for the operating system for the high school. We need to be able to take advantage of that. And, and that, uh, you know, ultimately saves costs in the long run. So, you know, this override is about, it's really about the future of our whole town. Um, certainly a big part of it is schools, the impact on students, but, um, but the, but the town also matters. Um, and, and town hall runs really lean right now. We have not really added any capacity to town hall um, in the past 10 years. And when you think about the work that those individuals do, I mean, they have to deal with all the changes in voting laws and elections and how they run, like the mandates and the requirements keep going up and we have left them, their headcount almost um, has not, has not changed in 10 years. Um, yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Nicole. Aaron, do you want to add to why don't you like? We'll, we'll wrap this up with with a final comment from from you on why people should vote yes on April sixth. Well, I mean, I think we've said a lot of different things that are really valid reasons for voting yes. Uh, and as Nicole just reiterated, I think I'll reiterate it again. Uh, this is about the future of the whole town. Um, we have. Uh, a lot of great things going on in our town and there's a lot of great people who work here and live here and whose kids are being educated here and people who've retired here. And I think that 
the key thing to remember is that voting yes on this is taking care of all of those people from students to seniors and everybody in between. Um, this isn't uh, a blank check to the town or to the schools to do whatever they want. This is every part of this is earmarked for a service that is needed by the town. Um, we're going to use these dollars for real things and real people. Um, and, if, and if we want, if, I know that there are people who have, we've heard people discussing that they're nervous about, you know, trusting the town. Um, and I think if we look in the past, we had an override in 2015 where right away the school did what they said they were going to do and hired teachers. Um, and we actually did more by stretching that override for for six years instead of the three it was intended to be uh, used for. And I think that that's a testament to the town. It's also a testament that we've only uh, passed four overrides in the 40 years, actually 41 years now since Proposition 2.5 was enacted in 1980, um, and only one in 2015 in the lifetime of a high school senior. Um, so I think that uh, we know that the town will make good use of these funds and it, the things that they'll use it for are important and meaningful to everybody. Well said, Aaron. Um, I have to wrap it up, but before I do, I want to mention that there will be a very important event that we hope everybody tunes into. It's on Friday, March 12th at 6 o'clock. It'll be live streaming on Belmont Media. You can watch it on Comcast 8 or Verizon 28. And that is a debate between the Yes for Belmont campaign with Chairwoman Nicole Dorn and the No Override Now campaign with Chairwoman Marie Warner. And it is hosted by myself, the Belmont Buzz host. Uh, it's a Belmont Buzz debate. And we have co-moderator Roger Colton, who is a Bel the Belmont Journal, one of the Belmont Journal hosts. I, I handpicked him to be my co-moderator for this because I know that um, he's, he's like me. We're neutral. We can do this. We're journalists. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it'll be a great event. Um, everybody tunes in. And I want to thank Belmont Media Center for, for producing that, as well as this show, Belmont Buzz. I thank everybody for tuning in and I'm going to buzz off for now. And Nicole and Aaron for coming on the show and I wish you the best of luck. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.